when your love has moved away. You must face yourself and you must say, I remember better days. Don't you cry, cause she is gone. She is only moving on, chasing mirrors through a haze. Thank you, snowboarding. Thank you, snowboarding. 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 Grazie, grazie. Hey, friends. How you doing? It's Chris Cracknell back with Thank You Snowboarding, the podcast that is covering all aspects of UK snowboard culture from the early pioneers hand-building boards up in Scotland to the current world champion Mia Brooks and beyond. This is all done in association with the Snowboard Asylum who have been looking after snowboarders since the start. And we're very grateful for them to be supporting us. So this week... This week, really pleased to uh, sit down with the man behind the Looking Sideways podcast, which was definitely, in my opinion, basically the gateway drug for all these other podcasts like The Bomb Hole and all these things. Matt blazed a trail years ago. In fact, I've got, um, I do a podcast about music as well for my day job. And, um, I remember speaking to Matt years ago and saying, how do you actually get a podcast up on up on iTunes as it was? And he sent me like this crazy method that he'd discovered, which wasn't kind of common knowledge. So he's definitely, he's looking sideways podcast is, as I said, blazed a trail. He's spoken to the great and the good of snowboarding over the last, I think, seven years, he said. But that's not it. Matt was also heavily involved in White Lines. Uh, his own company now, All Conditions Media, help shape other companies' interests in the outdoor world, including snowboarding. And is involved in the natural selection. I think it's fair to say, and I do level this at Matt at one point, is that he definitely has had a big hand and a quietly, gently quietly gently a quiet kind of steering hand in UK snowboarding culture often behind the scenes but you know he pops up he used to pop up in the lockdown movies he's travelled extensively he's been to everywhere you can basically strap a snowboard on and uh, he lives not far from me in Brighton on the south coast of the UK and I bumped into him just before Christmas and we talked about this and he said he'd love to come on. So we managed to lock this down a couple of weeks ago. So here we go. A bit of a chat with Mr. Matthew Barr. I mean, are you still following snowboarding as much as you ever did? Um, are we recording, by the way? Yeah. Um, am I... Uh, yeah, t- I mean... Yeah. I, d- I mean, I'm old though, like, so the, the, I mean, yeah, I, I do obviously because I'm still like super involved in the industry and, and, you know, for natural selection, which I'm lucky enough to be 
on the selection committee, it's obligatory, really. You can't turn up for that and not know what's going on. Although that's primarily free riding and yeah. and, and the backcountry. And so park riding, pipe riding these days, I didn't envy Tim and Ed. I mean, Ed's really good. Fucking at, those guys. I can't believe how hard they worked. Actually, yeah. seeing them on the ground in Larks was... And Henry Jackson as well. Like the knowledge that they've got of being able to. My God, is that a switch? Switch. Jesus. Yeah. Christ. I mean, it's not great podcasting me showing Chris a picture of. That. No, it isn't. But, um, <laughs> a photo we'll, on my we'll, phone. We'll check. We'll chat um, that up on the Insta or something. Yeah, like um, I, I was messaging Timo, and I sort of said like, calling pipe live fuck that like I, I wouldn't want to do that really um but yeah I do follow it obviously yeah I mean I you know I'm like any old fart I find I, I get a bit underwhelmed but you know like I think I saw a 2160 the other day like on yeah. social and I was just a bit like okay it's obviously like incredibly impressive but I, I personally I don't really know what to do with that like you know um, yeah my brother had a good insight actually because he was like I just he was sort of saying that he thinks that you know people are spit and you've got if you get it wrong at that speed coming down from a jump that size like someone's gonna kill themselves at some point and then he thinks that a lot of rules and things will come in and it will regiment snowboarding yeah you say that though do you think that's the case i mean look at red bull rampage like in the mountain bike world i know we're not talking about mountain biking but that that event is so fucking dangerous and like look at big wave surfing i mean the consequences in that are just so i mean you you know it's amazing more people don't die really yeah and there's no i mean they're doing that without insurance you know like because they can't get insured so i'm not sure i I kind of agree with that really okay but on the on the um on the kind of sort of progression tip you know i you might have seen a found a pick of steve bailey from rosendale oh mate and i put that on instagram didn't didn't ed call that like the best dry slope yeah i mean i kind of think it it, i I, I think, think it's it one of the best shots of a British rider ever, actually, me. Like, because of what it sort of symbolises, you know, it's a moment in time. Well, that's a straight air mute, you know, on dry slope. It's probably like 10 feet high, isn't it? And he's, obviously, it's Ste. And the reaction that got, you know, yeah. and, and, and a lot of kids, you know, younger, younger snowboarders going like, what the fuck? Like, what's he doing? You know, that's a straight air. Yeah. Um, and it was quite kind of heartwarming, really, because it was because someone was like, "That should be a cover," and I was like, "It it could legit be a cover." Like if you was put that on cover? the, I don't know if it was, but if you if the reason put that on the cover, yeah, it would be legit. Like people, like you wouldn't you wouldn't be like, "Oh, that's a bit of a kooky old dry slope shot." You know, it's just it's just massive styled, and anyone in any generation can look at that and be like, "That is incredible." Yeah, and that's there's something quite nice about that, isn't there? Like like that. It's in the same ballpark as that shot I just showed you. Yeah. You know, it's just like, there's just something, you know, about that. That's why Steve was so good though, isn't it? Like, and, and why he was, he's still so highly regarded because he's a bit of a sort of, you know, he's a bit of a kind of Tom Penny sort of character, isn't he? Like there's, there's something about those people that yeah. like, it just transcends what everyone else can do. And it just yeah. then becomes like this universally, you know, you just see it and you're like, okay, fair fucking play. Probably know? everyone from back in those times can look at that shot and they would know it was Steve Bailey without knowing it was Steve Bailey. Yeah. You know and I mean? there's that nostalgia thing, obviously, you know, there's a lot of, 
there was a lot of us old fuckers on there commenting, which is fine, you know. But equally, there was, you know, Sparrows on there, Matty McCormick shared it, you know, like yeah. they're all like, fucking hell, this is just legit, you know. And I, I thought there was something really, really nice about is that. that. Because, is that because, you know, somebody doing a 2160 is a fairly unattainable, it's a fairly unattainable thing, probably for 99.9% .9 of snowboarders, whereas boosting an air on dry slope is probably a lot more relatable. Yeah, I mean, there is that argument, isn't there, about progression and and particularly in snowboarding, I think that argument gets made because obviously the progression has been so stratospheric in the last five to ten years. that it, I mean, we were sort of saying that, weren't we, about double corks, you know, like... Yeah. like yeah, yeah. You know, and, that, and, and that's now just absolutely bog standard isn't it you know like if you want to be a top freestyle snowboarder like on transition certainly and i think there'll always be an element of that i mean obviously there's a clearly there's a place for that type of progression like it, it's always going to go that way that's the engine of all these sports isn't it activities whatever you want to call them yeah you know there's always going to be young kids coming through who are going to like who are going to do that and that's brilliant and that's part of it Obviously, in snowboarding, it's a bit different because the style argument comes in. I mean, at the minute, people are making all this stuff look good, aren't they? So it's a bit different. But yeah, um, but I do I do understand that argument. I mean, that's an argument that I've heard like Jeremy Sladen make, for example, about right. you know that's why. Quite, interesting. quite often, I've spoken to Jeremy a lot about this over the years because we obviously both work in the industry, as it were, and he talks a lot about like you know just communicating like the simple joy of snowboarding yeah which which ain't a, doing a 2160 is it for me and you <laughs> it's like <laughs> you know we're probably happy if we can do a, a decent turn you know or if we can do a nice feeling three or whatever like that that that'd Liter be about the size literally anything i'm, that'd I'm be about the size. You know, waxing my board before i go do yeah you know what i mean exactly i mean the most the, like the best feeling thing i can remember doing on a snowboard in recently it's like a very bog standard frontside three off a cat track you know well. that was like about two feet high <laughs> but like felt really nice and and that's kind of i, I mean I'm, i've not been that. riding for a couple of years so i'd probably even that would be massively unattainable at the minute so but you know my point obviously is I mean, that's why people end up, when they get older, just booking powder trips, isn't it? That's why, like, loads of so, mutual yeah. friends of ours have just spent two weeks in yeah, Japan, yeah, yeah, you know, because yeah. that's what you're after, isn't it? That, that feeling, you know. Yeah, is it, is it, I mean, there doesn't seem to be as many channels to see what snowboarding looks like to the general populace. Like, there's no sort of lifestyle programmes around it. All you see is competitions. That's an interesting point. Yeah, I guess so. As in, like things you might see on Insta or social or whatever. Not or necessarily socials, but certainly sort of on, you know, the wider media. Like you know, Ski Sunday obviously only really covers. They have a little bit of life. You know, they had an avalanche thing this this weekend, but yeah, it's competition based, and that and that's kind of where it gets recognised is people winning rather than people participating. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting point actually. Must be some stuff out there that's that, that's about that. I, I mean, just like as the, what the general guy in the street sees, rather than like somebody who's actually looking for it. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess the question as well is like, how much do people that just go snowboarding two weeks a year actually give a fuck about any of that stuff? I mean, I think that's a good point. I think probably 
you might have more of an insight into that. Well, I mean, like a probably as much as you, you know, we've all got mates who go riding and don't hear any of them talking about, you know, what happened at the X Games or, you know, they might be aware of like Mia Brooks, obviously, because yeah. that's so extraordinary what she's done and yeah. that's getting loads of coverage. But, but I, don't, I don't think most people, there's definitely a bit of a split, isn't there, between like the people who are like super into it, into the scene, into the comps and that, like we all are or have been at points and then the people who actually buy the kit and just go riding, you know. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because I, most people I know that go snowboarding, they like talking about snowboarding. But yeah. I think that's because I'm in a bit of a closed loop of... Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but I think I think for most people, it's just about the experience, isn't it? Really. Well, actually, something that I read in a white line, so you might have had something to do with this, was it's an old copy and it was to do with the state of the sort of industry. Oh, God. And it was pulling... sounds like something I would have written. <laughs> no, but it was pulling figures from the... Is it the... What, I don't know if it's still the same. Oh, SIGB. I, and it, I they think reckon... I dimly remember this, actually. Yeah. I mean, I know some of the people that you'd pulled in as kind of I'm not the sure person in the street. I'm not they... sure if I did write that, but I do... I do... There, was, there was a bit of a... So about 10 years ago, there was a bit of a thing, wasn't there? Like snowboarding's dying kind of thing. And... Oh, this might be older than that because right. it was in a mag. Um, but anyway, it claimed that there was like 500,000 active snowboarders, people that would go in snowboarding the UK? every year. In the UK. I mean, that's... I mean, I'm not having that. <laughs> when, I was, when like, was this fucking from? Hell. I guess it would have been like in the 2000s at some point. I guess this this wow. magazine. I've got it somewhere. I'll have to dig it out. Well, I mean, you know, back then it supported three magazines. Like, yeah. you know, we sold. I think at one point we were selling like twenty thousand copies a month of White Lines Jesus or something, which Christ. is fucking mad, isn't it? When yeah, you... that is mad. Although that might have been what we told the advertisers. Um, don't quote me on that, Jim Pesket. Uh But either way, like it's you, you get my point. Like there was enough cash and interest floating around that those three magazines got bankrolled for quite a significant period of time. That's all by people buying kit at the end of the day, isn't it? You know, yeah. that can that puts money into brands. You then put money into media budgets that then support things like magazines. You know, it's, so maybe. Let's get on to white lines in a minute. Let's head backwards first. What did snowboarding look like when you got into it? Like, how did you see it? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Manchester. How did you see it first? I got into snowboarding through... I was very lucky to meet Chris, Moran, Stee, Bailey, Stu Brass quite soon after that, when I was really young, when I was like 14. I think I met Chris when I was 13, actually. Um... So, and he would have been 17. And obviously yeah. at that age, that's quite a big, he could drive, you know. Yeah. That's how I got into all of it, really. Like I got into... Where did you meet him at Rosendale? I went, Chris, Chris came to our school. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, you, you know Drew, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Drew's my oldest. We all grew up in Stratford in Manchester, um, which is where like Manchester United is from, like Old Trafford. And um, so... I just I was at school with Drew. We were sort of best mates from when we were really young, and um, Chris came to our school like sixth form college. Um, Wasn't he like cool? Yeah, he was. He. Like, everyone... Why have I got the image? I've got the meme image of no, him, he had like a, B- a Union Jack bandana or something. No, like he had that. a BMX and he had a and he could ride it and he had a baseball cap. Everyone called That's him good. American Kid. <laughs> 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 I mean, this is like nineteen. 
90 in Manchester and he'd yeah. been snowboarding and he had a snowboard. Right. So that was the first time I'd ever heard of snowboarding um, when I met Chris. And I, Steve taught me to Ollie actually. So, so they were older than us and um, I'd dabbled in skating and then got, got very into skating after meeting those boys really because Steve was like really good even then he was like a proper He's good got skater springs in his legs hasn't he yeah he was he a just... proper good skater like I met him and he could you know he could he could do like double kick flips back then you know like and 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 he taught me to Ollie um and so I just got super into skateboarding um and I couldn't afford a snowboard actually so I skied no. like so, so Chris used to drive us up to Rosendale every week yeah um on a Wednesday after school and um it would be me and Chris and Drew and then we would go meet Steve Paul Allen I think he was called that name rings a Jamie <clears throat> oh god I feel really bad I can't remember his last name it'll come to me um and I couldn't, you, you couldn't, you know, you couldn't get snowboards, no could you? No. So I, I, I skied for, for yeah. like, because I just wanted to do something. So Chris yeah. taught me to ski, actually. Did he? Yeah. Oh, fucking chance. At, at Rosendale Dry Slope. Um, so I just used to sort of bomb about on skis, like um, drew out a board. Um, and then kind of got into it from that, like borrowed boards, started doing trips. Like they, they were all doing seasons. So we used to go out and see them. Um, I, I can't even remember early nineties. So yeah. Chris, Chris kind of taught me to snowboard really like um, in like on snow. And then we would go to the dry slope and stuff, but we were um, pretty, pretty into that. Like, you know, basically the, the path that they, forged yeah which particularly chris was the path that we all wanted to follow really because you know they were already like back then they were already like really good weren't they you know so chris was sponsored steve was sponsored they're on burton you know they used to get free kit which to us yeah. is just I mean, mind-blowing like, yeah you know? that's the holy grail isn't you it? know we used to go to drew's house and because i think chris got all his stuff delivered there for some reason fuck knows why um probably the reason that he still gets stuff delivered here <laughs> he's always had that in the locker <laughs> hasn't he? yeah I forgot that like, he still gets stuff delivered there, didn't he? Um, and we'd go there and have boxes of kit everywhere, you know. And we were just yeah. all like, "Whoa, fucking hell!" Um, so yeah, kind of through that, yeah. And but for me, immediately it just kind of meant like, um, like, a, like a kind of a root out as well. Like you know, like I, I really wanted to to leave Manchester at the earliest possible opportunity, and um, I went to university when I, when I was 18 and where did you do that I went to Sheffield University okay and then they would come and stay with with Drew so we went to Sheffield moved out got a house and then yeah. we would go snowboarding we used our student loans to go snowboarding in the holidays amazing um but I mean like back then we got a grant like the first year I went to university I got a fucking grant you yeah. Know? yeah yeah like yeah, yeah. and then you could get a loan so you just got free money you know yeah so we so we we worked as well so we all worked in McDonald's, like all of us, like me, I didn't know, I didn't me know Chris that. and Drew, yeah. Did you get five stars? I did get five stars. I bet yeah. you did. Yeah, yeah, till bimbo. Um, and then, um, yeah, like we would go riding in the holidays 
Um, we would blag boards off. Chris, Chris and Stu and Steve would like give us boards and stuff. So we were just like really lucky, you know, because because we immediately got. We were just because we knew these people. We were just sort of plugged into like the very nascent like British snowboarding scene, and then everyone's just so fucking welcoming, weren't they? You know, yeah. like it was very. It was it was it was just really welcoming, and um, which which still is a, is a feature of it, I think, isn't it? So I think so, yeah. Yeah, so um, so we're always like, I just like, yeah, I want to do what they're doing because they were doing seasons, you know. So that was the kind of plan. So it was Borg your first season. My first season was in Maribel. Was it? Yeah, in um, ninety seven. Yeah. So did you not do seasons in Borg with that crew? No, I visited a lot. Right. Yeah. So I went and stayed a lot with Reese and Danny Woodcock and and um fucking Dan Woodcock. Yeah. And uh and PM, Paul Moore. Yep. Sash, obviously. Munson was around when he was um, I was always a bit scared of Munson back then. Um, which is quite funny because we're quite good mates now. Um so yeah, so that was that was what we wanted to do really. Yeah. So I guess your first season was that the big house in Maribel where you sort of set up a white lines office in the Alps. Yeah, and that was all Chris as well. Like, so I mean, I can't really overstate like how much of an influence Chris had on me. Like back then, I, like, I interviewed him for my podcast. We talked about this quite a lot because yeah. I sort of felt it was important to give him the props, really, because you know he is he is a very um, charismatic, influential figure, isn't he? And he certainly was a big influence on on me. So I. He doesn't tend to kind. Of, he looks at things and thinks, "Why don't we just do that?" Yeah, and doesn't, and doesn't kid, really see a reason not to. As a kid, it was really obviously influential. That, like, you know, when you meet somebody like that, and I kind of needed that. Like, my parents had got divorced, and you know, I didn't really see my dad. So, right. like, that was important to me back then. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, and. Yeah, like he, so same with the writing. So basically he, I got into it through Chris, like basically like he, because I always could write. I was always, like that's why I went to university because I was always sort of from quite an early age. I was like, you know, everyone was like at school and like, they're like, you know, you should do that. That's what you should do. You're good at that kind of thing. Yeah. So I'd always, and I'd always wanted to be a journalist. So when I got into skateboarding, I was forever like taking a little shitty camera out and taking pictures and, you know, making up fake zines and all that stuff. I was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like avid reader of all the magazines. Like, yeah. and like, like religiously read rad and kind of always wanted to emulate that. So Chris got asked to be interviewed for Snowboard UK. And he's, he asked me to, me and Drew to do it actually. Right. And fair play to Eddie. So Eddie Spearing, who I know you spoke to for this, like he, he also had a, he was also brilliant. Like he took a big punt there. Like I sort of said this to him a few, few years later. I sort of thanked him really. Cause, right. cause I did the article and he was like, this is really good. You should do more of this. Do you want to do some more stuff for us? That's a nice thing to say. Yeah. And I was 18, I think. So, yeah. you know, I was a bit like, wow, I got paid to write about snowboarding. And, and then Chard asked me to do Steve's interview for white lines. Right. Um, and, so so I did, you know, and then so when it came to, I, so I wrote for the mags through university, and um, and would do stuff when I would go away, like I, I remember we'll go to the the Les Art Brits and writing about that for one of the mags, and you Jesus. know, um, so when when I left university and went to do my first season, that was Chris was basically like, 
we should go to White Lines and just tell them that we'll do the whole Mac, you know. And I was a bit like, what can we do that? And he was like, yeah, fuck it, we'll just go and do that. So we drove down to Oxford and we went to see Chad Thomas and Jim Peskett. And we basically, picked, well, Chris pitched him. I, I just sat there saying nothing really because um, I was 20 and didn't know what I was doing. Um, and they, he was like, here's the deal. We'll do all your stuff. You just pay us. You know, you come out with some ridiculous figure and they just kind of laughed and said, well, we haven't got that much money, but we'll give you, I think they paid us two grand each, like to do a season's worth of content. And that was enough to do a season, obviously. So that was like, you know, Lift Pass was 500 quid. Yeah. Accommodation was 500 quid. And then we had a grand, like to, to... remember when it used to be 500 quid for your season. Like, yeah, to yeah. Live so we did, so we did a season on that, like a two grand season. Jesus. You know, and I worked in the summer, I had part-time jobs. Yeah, yeah. A load of shit jobs like everyone did. So I kind of went into the season with with enough money to to not have to do a shitty season job. So we yeah. did. So you're right. We did white lines. So we that first year we faxed, we hand wrote the articles and faxed them to the magazine, basically. Um, and then a the year man. later, Chris flash bastard that years bought a laptop, right in 1998, nice. which obviously was you know was. People would literally travel from far and wide <laughs> to see. You're the guy with the laptop, right? Um, and he fucking had a, had a mobile. This is how Flash Chris was back in the day, you know. Like, and he used to connect it up and do really the, do the fucking no way the Mission Impossible um, <laughs> Eurostar scene <laughs> modem. <laughs> so we sent the mag back doing that in the second year. Probably cost him more than you earned out of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Chris was pretty profligate with his cash back then, so because he was earning decent money with through snowboarding. So, um, so we did that, yeah. And that was then kind of what I ended up doing. Because I was thinking about this earlier, or I've been thinking about this for a few days actually. Like your part in sort of the UK snowboard culture, I don't know if it's ever been sort of celebrated. I think you've sort of been under the radar with it, but through everything you've done, especially with white, I mean, white lines, obviously Snowboard UK sort of pioneered that, but I think white lines really had a a sensibility about it. It had a lot of sort of humour in it, but also a sense of adventure and... Yeah, no, and, then that's, and, all, that's all kind of fair enough, really. Yeah, I mean, we took that pretty seriously. You know, was, I mean, we were really lucky. You know, it's like me... Chris, Adley, and Nick Hamilton and Chod. You know, Fucking I mean, it's like it's like a you know we we were so lucky. You <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. Because you know, Nick. I mean, Ed's Ed Ed went on to great things. Nick went on to great things. Like we were all lucky enough to have have really fulfilling decent careers off the back of it. But for that five year period, I mean, yeah, like what a privilege to so. And we took it we took it pretty seriously, you know. And also, we were just like young dicks as well. Like I think you know we didn't really think about commercial like we never once thought about like is this commercially a good thing to do yeah um which i think is hilarious now given what i do for a living um and i just think that like the people that ran those magazines they just i mean talk about fucking patient you know like um because they let us get away with murder, you know. Um, was there anything ever, like any ideas that you pitched that were sort of turned down? Yeah, the only one they ever turned down was it was the 50th issue of White Lines and we had this shot in the office that ended up on the cover of Badass Big Airs, you know, the throwing the dog off oh, the jump. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The guy in the Mickey Mouse jumper. And yeah, the, yeah. We wanted to put that on the cover 
of the 50th issue and Jim just put his foot down. He's like, no fucking way. And we were like, come on, it's funny. Because, you know, there was such snobbery about Snowball Mag covers, wasn't there, back then? Well, quite rightly, you know, it's a a legitimate aesthetic. And, you know, those choices say a lot about where snowboarding's at right now. Yeah. Um, Obviously, why I brought up the Ste thing in that context earlier. But um, we just thought it was funny. You know, so we and and that for us that was what White Lines was about. Like you know, for us like White Lines was always about taking the piss out of um, how seriously everyone took it. You know, yeah. we had this whole thing for seasons about the phrase "keeping it real" because that was like yeah, a real yeah, phrase yeah. that people used to use a lot back then, and people would write us letters saying like "keep it real," and we just thought that was fucking hilarious. Like you know, we're a bunch of like white kids. Like what are you on about snowboarding? So we always wanted to like you know treat it with the irreverence but the respect that it deserved which is i kind of think where that sensibility that you're talking about came from yeah i mean i always although i always sort of realized that snowboarding was a you know it was a privilege to do really more than anything else i was fairly certainly guilty of maybe being a bit on that keep it real thing like it wants to be presented in the right way so that oh, if, you show it, if you show it to other people, they get it. Do you know what I mean? Some and people I'm... hated what we did. Like, it, we, they, they genuinely did. Like, you know, some people just thought it was a joke Like, yeah. um, and thought that we were just idiots, you know. But we didn't really care because we just amused ourselves. Like, one of the great joys of those days used to be, like, we would have an editorial meeting every probably June or July. We'd all go to Abingdon. Because the way it used to work back then, obviously, with um, scheduling was you would have to kind of get most of the magazines written by September. Yeah. Um, so you don't, you'd go and do your season. You'd, you'd amass all your material. So Nick could shoot everything. Like we'd go off and do all our stories and they'd be for the following season. Obviously we'd all be, everyone would be on that, you know, you know, where everyone would be on that, that season's kit. Yeah. So that when it came out, the stuff that was in the magazines was, in, was what was in the shops. And um, so you would have to plan the magazines every June. So I think we would meet every May or June in Abingdon. We'd have a couple of days where we would literally sit down and plan the entire season's um, content, even though no one called it content back then. Uh-huh. Um, and that was like, again, me, Chris, Ed, Nick and Chod in a room fucking about, making making each other laugh. Like, And I was always the one that was like, I quite want to go to Iran, you know, like <laughs> they'd be like, okay, whatever, you know. So they humored me a lot because I always had like quite odd ideas, you know, because for me, I was never as good as everyone else. You know, I yeah. was very average snowboarder compared to everyone else, even compared to like Ed and Chris and, you know, maybe more in Nick's camp. Um, and for me, that isn't what snowboarding was about. It wasn't about being like really fucking good at snowboarding. Um, yeah. Even though there's obviously a large part of it is about how you progress and how you ride and, and, and the satisfaction that you get out of that, obviously. But for me, it was always a tool for experiences. You know, it was yeah. always about yeah, yeah, yeah. like, where can this take me, you know? Yeah. And, and, and who, what can I, and, and obviously you realise quite quickly, ah, oh, this can take you anywhere that you want, actually. If you're lucky enough, as we were, and I will stress that because we were very lucky to have a very, like I say, long-suffering boss who would give us money to to go and do these trips. Although not that much money as well, because I should say what we, we just learned to blag, you know. I was going to so, say. So that... all those trips were <clears throat> blagged, you know, like, and so I just spent 10 years blagging increasingly stupid trips like going 
because all the everyone else did all the like let's go to Mammoth, let's go to Whistler, let's do that. Yeah, they're the easy wins, aren't they? Well, you, you do that because that's where the events are and that's where the pros are. And that you know, so Nick's going to go and shoot in the Whistler backcountry with everyone there. He's going to go to the he's going to go to the West Coast. He's going to go to all the comps. He's going to do that. That's all covered, you know. But, yeah. But I was always a bit like, that's not all snowboarding is. No. You know, snowboard. There's much more to this than that. So for me, I was a bit like, we would we would just get a map out and go like, where's got a resort? Let's go there. So, you know, I went to Argentina, went to Russia, went to Iran, Lebanon, Uzbekistan. I was very lucky to go to some very fucking weird places. Um, not weird, but, di- you know, different places. Because I just always thought, what an amazing opportunity yeah. to, to, to see the world, you know, and have those experiences. Because snowboarding trips are as much about those experiences as they are about the riding part. 100%. You know. And were you, like, just... I guess that's a good le- a good life lesson, isn't it? Like you come up with a plan, you know, put the put the pin in a map somewhere, and then just like, okay, let's work backwards. How do we get from here? Yeah, there? and again, Chris was the master blagger, you know. So like, he taught me how to do that. Like, and then I got really good at presenting that from a media point of view. So, um, uh, quite a lot of my time was spent putting those trips together and finding people to pay for them you know and yeah. obviously we had an amazing bit of real estate in white lines where we could say like we'll, yeah. we'll put 10 pages in there so back to those meetings i would always turn up every every year and be like yeah i quite want to go here you know and and they'd be like all right well we'll do a few of them a year you know you can do a few of them we can't fill it with that like yeah. because and that was always an interesting point of discussion because i think me and chris always wanted it to be more especially Chris is a quite an anarchic character creatively, you know, so he, 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 he more took his cue from like a quite a wider cultural frame of reference, I would say, you know, so he was, he, 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 and we, and then, so, and that rubbed off on me. So we were both thinking about it in that way. You know, we weren't looking at like trans world and going like, although I did do a little bit of that. Um, But we were, we were a bit more like snowboarding is just the, 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 the vehicle for this isn't the point of this. So yeah. what can we talk about within, if that's the way you look at it, if that makes sense? Yeah, yeah, totally. I think that becomes more relevant as you get older as well. Like looking back, I realised snowboarding was the vehicle to get me out of where I grew up. Yeah. And get me among the people that I needed to be around because I didn't fit in everywhere. Yeah, same And I realised that snowboarding's been the vehicle for like... The majority of my life, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why we're in this room. We know each other yeah. through snowboarding. You exactly know? that. And the best friendships of my life are from snowboarding. Yeah. You know, like when... And I really can't say how much I appreciate that now. You know, especially everyone like, like us who have been a loose part of this community, you know, without getting too schmaltzy. But it is a real thing. And it is a, it is a, it is a, a lovely thing. And... You know, for me, that's why I really love like Nelson's thing every year because that's now. Yeah, I've never made it to that. That's sadly. now like for for our generation. That's now the kind of gathering. Yeah, and you and you go there, and it's. I mean, and there's other stuff. Obviously, there's like spring break is obviously a big thing, mm. um, on snow. But you know, you go to that thing, and you'll see people you haven't seen for years, and all you've you know like. I, I've got no business being friends with some of the people I'm friends with through snowboarding, really, you know. But they're my best mates. <laughs> yeah, like because yeah. because we met through that and we've got that shared experience. And that's 
that's that's one of the best parts about it so you know bringing back to what you were talking about with the sort of sensibility if you like of of something like white lines like that's very much what we would try to get across really you know yeah um i posted i found well i remembered yesterday that video that ed made the jilted john one yeah fucking so good i watched that last night i mean i did check with ed first because i was like i just want to make sure because obviously you've probably got a lot you know being in the media and everything i better check in with you first before i post this Mm. and just everyone fucking loves it and it was just all that sort of stuff that went alongside with the snowboarding yeah that was just brilliant you know like that's what lit it up for me yeah 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 but then i had a conversation with someone someone sent me a message i should remember his name but i'll remember it afterwards who said that they were at the sheffield riot Mm. and that's something we might get to as an aside because i'm building i I wrote about that did you for white lines um Remember that note really clearly. So that was when I was at uni in Sheffield. Yeah. Yeah, this is my third year. Let's hold it. Yeah, yeah. That's an extra. Yeah. Um, But yeah, this guy, he was like, you know, I was about 14 at the time. I was at the Sheffield Riot and we used to snowboard up in the northeast, but he never felt like he was part of the scene. And I was like, well, funny that. I never really felt like I was part of the scene. It's only looking back now that I realised that probably everybody else felt like the scene was happening somewhere else. But if you were at the Sheffield, you were as much part of the part of a scene as anybody else. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of that's just to do with being young, though, isn't it? As well, like you know, when you're young, you everyone has things that are going on. Like if I look back at that era, yeah, we were drinking so much, Jesus all of Christ. us. Like, and whatever, I'm not bringing that up to like glorify it or anything. I'm just saying that, like. There's a lot of like attendant like mental health things that go with that, you yeah. know. That like that when I look back on a lot of the behaviour that took place back then, it's quite explainable, like by that. And 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 this thing that you're talking about, like this feeling of slight social isolation and like oh, I don't really belong. And yeah. I I sort of look at that in that kind of camp really, like these days. Like I think I certainly had an element of that. Like I certainly had mm. Yeah, me too. Um, and I think that's part of being a human, isn't it? And being being young as well, like, and and perhaps try to find your place, and yeah, and I'm wondering if you if you where you fit in, and and all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, sort of being uncomfortable yourself, and just not knowing where your place is. I mean, those are, those are quite natural rites of passage. Like, I think so. For, and so I, I kind of, if I think back to some of the pointless battles that I fought back then. Mm. I just think, God, I was so young and, you know, what a waste of energy, really. But, yeah. but like, you know, that's that's kind of, you have to learn all that, don't you? Yeah, I guess so. It feels a lot more comfortable now. Yeah. I'm definitely, like, happy where... And then I realised that anyone could have come in and met everyone and been part of it. Well, I don't think there was, there was no real gatekeepers, was there? It was just, like, if you turn up and you like snowboarding... That's kind of enough, isn't it? I mean, it? We, we, I mean, it, we kind of were gatekeepers, really, because because obviously we were the people that decided what went in that magazine. So, yeah. like, we, we certainly used to get shit for that. Like, you know, people always used to go on about all we did was put our mates in it and, you know, like... And I was always just like, well, we've got a lot of mates. <laughs> well, and, and they're the people that show up to do stuff, that are available to do stuff yeah, as well. Yeah, people that, I don't know, like, again, that's just when you get older, you kind of learn. 
you can either moan about that or you can you can understand how it works. And yeah. You can, so there were, there were plenty of people that we didn't know that we put in that magazine because we just liked what they did. And I'm oh, sorry, I'm still like that today, you know, with what I do. Like, I don't give a fuck if you, who you are or what, what kind of pedigree you've got as long as what you're doing is interesting and good. And then you should, that should be enough to get you somewhere. Yeah. Really. And that you show up like, yeah. you know, sort of, the same doing this, the people that get an episode, and generally everyone's wanted to do it, but like, you know, you're like, oh, I'll come around Wednesday. And it's like, great. Do you know what I mean? Like, it kind of made me laugh when you were like, yeah, cool. Like, I was like, well, it's tax, it's tax return day, and I'm avoiding that as well. Well, also, like, you know, I run a podcast as well, as you know, and it's pretty hard getting guests, isn't it? So when someone's keen, you're like, yeah, fuck yeah, let's do it, you know? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, yeah, let's get into your podcast then. I mean, you've set the standard for action sports podcasts. You, <laughs> well, really? that's very kind. Um, I mean, yeah. how old is it now? It's got to be seven. It's seven years old, yeah. I started it in 2017, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a real privilege, that. Yeah, I was thinking this this last week. Um. Like last night, I had an amazing conversation with somebody that I met through the podcast, which was just in, you know incredibly enjoyable. Like that, we'll, we'll go out as an episode. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's still a lot of fun. Yeah, still really into it. I mean, you've interviewed pretty much everyone. Certainly, from a snowboarding aspect, who's who didn't you get? I guess you didn't get Jake Burton. Did you get Jake Burton? Well, one of the things I do regret is like, um, no, I never got Jake, but I've interviewed a lot of people over the years. Yeah. Like, and before that predates. So I interviewed Tom Sims, you know. Like, Did you? Yeah. For oh, was White, that for the mag? For White Lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And. What was he like? He was brilliant. And I lost, you know, lost it like in a move, like had it on a tape somewhere, no, you know. Right. And, and he, so I've often thought like, I, you know, I could have put that out actually, like yeah. if I if I if I'd have kept it. So there's yeah. a lot of stuff like that that I would go. Oh man, I get turned down all the time. Like, um, who are you chasing um, in the snowboarding world? In the snowboarding world, who would I? I'd like to interview Terry Kidwell. He's been somebody I'd like I've wanted to speak to for a while, um, because obviously he's got a very pivotal story. But I'd want to do that in person, right? Um, it's a nice work trip. Yeah, um, it's a good question actually. But I've not really been giving it too much thought recently because I've been pretty involved in another big project that I'm working on. So I haven't. I just did a really good one with a guy called Eric Blam. Blame Blam. I should work out how to pronounce that. He used to edit um, Transworld, and he was good friends with Craig Kelly. And he's just written this amazing biography of Craig Kelly. Um, right called the darkest white i believe it's called and that was that was great um i'll I'll think about that yeah 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 i mean we're snowboarding you know the bomb world does a really good job of like the scene stuff doesn't it you know yeah it's got core so i don't really go near that like there's there's a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of um podcast now that, that that really do that well yeah when i started mine there was no bomb hole there was no effing rad which is a friend of mine called eric in the states who does a really good job of those like yeah. kind of core interviews um so i don't tend to sort of 
I'm not that bothered about doing that sort of stuff. No, you've always it always seems that you've steered towards the sort of more thoughtful, insightful guests who have maybe done other things as well. Well, I mean, I just you know always been in been into the story. You know, as a journalist, like what's the interesting story here? Yeah, and I personally don't find guided trick that in, that interesting. You know, I used to, and I spent, you know, a big part of my career running a magazine where that was a huge part of it. Yeah. But I'm not that bothered about that anymore, you know. So um, it's more about finding out, finding stories that I think are interesting. I mean, I'm really lucky with Looking Sideways because I get to completely please myself, which was a big reason why I did it. Yeah. Um, Because I've been a working journalist now for nearly 30 years and, you know, a big part of it is pitching and a big part of it is is pitching and getting knocked back it doesn't matter who you are that happens yeah and big part of the appeal of doing looking sideways was to just be like oh i don't have to pitch and i'll just do what i want to do and i've been very lucky that that's found an audience that people seem to trust that yeah so i don't i don't really think about like is anyone going to care about this or the 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 kind of editorial filter is like do i think this is interesting which is incredibly fortunate you know yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to to be able to do that um because i've had some pretty fucking you know uh niche esoteric guests on there but people will listen to it and people will will like it you know so and um obviously that feeds into what you do now as well acm sorry all conditions media it's mm-hmm. not acm anymore is it I mean, everyone calls it ACM. <laughs> yeah. So describe what your life with ACM is. Uh, well, I mean, I'm, I've basically got two jobs. You know, I've, I'm, I'm still a journalist. So I do look in sideways. I still write. I do other things, like I'm doing a big documentary series at the minute. And then I do ACM, which is like effectively like my day job. ACM is a marketing agency these days, a pretty like, you know, pretty, yeah, I mean, it's a proper business, you know, we've got 15 staff, like it's, 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 it's a, I just paid the wages today. That, that's enough to remind me how serious a thing it is. Your responsibility. Because it's quite a lot of cash every month now. Um, yeah. Again, me and Chris, that, that was, the, was the, I mean, Chris, it's actually Chris, like, so Chris basically set it up, um, as a as a as a business for like stuff stuff that he was doing, and then when we did white lines together, we we just put everything in that into that business, and then that and that was called ACM from the start. Yeah. Um, and then um, we when we left white lines, which is in two thousand and five, basically got fired. Um, we um, hang we, on a minute, can we? Well, I mean, like we got, yeah, I was just thinking, yeah, I should probably expand upon that. Like we got, we got in some shit. Like, so I, I mean, it's kind of comedy really. Like I wrote a review of a, of a pink rip curl jumper. I think it was, <laughs> which was quite, Brilliant. which was quite scathing. Right. Um, because you know, like that's what we did. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, that's the form, isn't it? Someone sent us a pink jumper to review, um, and I thought it'd be really funny to just rip the piss out of that. Yeah. The brand didn't think that was funny in the slightest. Um, and the PR agency didn't think that was funny in the slightest. For anyone that works to me is listening to this, they'll be fucking pissing themselves at this. Um, <laughs> so 
um, basically the brand threatened to pull all their ads out of, but not only out of white lines, out of the entire permanent publishing. Yeah, so that was sidewalk. Sidewalk, surface, surface pads. That, that, that represented a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Jim, our boss, was pretty angry about that. Um, so he he basically wanted me to go to ISPO to grovel to the person in question. Shit. I was in Lebanon at the time snowboarding right on a jip that trip that jim had effectively paid for so he phoned me up and he was like where are you and i was like i'm in lebanon and he was like what are you doing there and i'm like well i'm snowboarding for the mag and yeah. he was a bit like well you need to get yourself to fucking ispo and you need to apologize no way. um and i was like well i, well, I can't obviously yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, i'm yeah. in lebanon so he made chris do it um and he, t- he did it like he drove to fucking ispo and had to basically go and grovel to the guy in question who's a, I'm not going to say who it was but he's a very notorious alpha of the industry um, and at that point we were a bit like yeah that might be that might be the straw that broke the camel's back really so we so we kind of started planning for what might happen if we got the boot right and then yeah at the end of that winter Jim was a bit like I'm going to I'm going to change it up I'm going to like you two are out basically Ed had left at that point because his career had taken off. Nick had left. He'd gone to Transworld. Yeah. So it was a bit of a... We were like... Chod was still there. Yeah. Um, so it was a bit... I, And then basically what happened... I, I understood it all a lot more. I was fuming at the time. I bet. You know, like we were, we were like outraged at the time. You know, we've put 10 years into this, like blah, blah, blah. I mean, I've seen Jim since and we've laughed about it, to be honest. Like, um, and I've apologised to him as well. because Not for that, because I didn't yeah. think I should have had to apologise for that, but I've apologised for just the fucking, like I said, the lack of commercial acuity that we had <laughs> that must have driven him fucking mental. <laughs> What's actually really funny about that, and I'm going all over the place here, is... It's good. Ben, like ben it. Powell's a good friend of mine who used to run Sidewalk. And I was talking to Ben recently and he was like, you know what's funny? Like when this was all going on, I was like, he's like, Jim was 30. <laughs> no, that's it. Everyone's so fucking young. No one knew what they were and doing. And I was like, no fucking way. And he was like, he was 30. And we thought he was an old man. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? yeah. Like anyway, so that happened. And um, so we set up ACM. So yeah. we, we were like, we'll set up this agency and we called it a freelance writing agency. And the first job we actually got was that footprint book that we did. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, I that. remember, yeah. I think Snowboard I wrote in, some words for Snowboard that. in the World. You did the Borg and the Les Ark yeah. article, yeah. And that was the first job that we got. Um, and that and that was a year's worth of work yeah. to do that. Nice. So that gave us a little platform. And we just we were just freelance journalists for, for probably about five years. We got you involved for a bit. And then our friend Ben Mundy, we got involved because he's like a surf, quite a highly regarded surf journalist. So we were like, okay, well, we could get a surf element to this. And at the time, like the pitch was that we would um, write about these things for mainstream press in a credible way. Because obviously yeah. it was fucking terrible, wasn't it? The way that, and it, and it kind of worked for quite a while. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. And then that sort of turned into a travel writing career for me. So I ended up basically. Well, I just carried on going snowboarding basically because I just kind of realised that the same blag that had worked for white lines I could now do in the mainstream press. So I just basically it's probably more money for it. In the well, main... it wasn't even that it was more money; it was just better trips. So I just yeah. got like um, the level of trip went up. <laughs> where's the where's where's like where's your dream? Where's been the best the best blag? Yeah, undoubtedly Revelstoke. 
I mean, I've been lucky enough to do fucking loads of amazing trips, but Revelstoke, which was 11 years ago, and I wrote about that for the Evening Standard, I think, and unless you wrote about 500 words. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was essentially an, like an oligarch's heli lodge nice. in Revelstoke. So yeah. it, it had like a helipad out the front. Oh, yeah. It was 80 grand a week, I think. Wow. Had a private chef. What? Like it was fucking ludicrous. And it was owned by a guy who runs one of the UK's big construction firms. It's oh, yeah. like a family. You, you'll you probably know they, they are given your bit of your background, but they're a huge construction firm. And they made, they built all the Tesco's and Sainsbury's, I think. Oh, right. So, they, you know, printing money. Yeah. And I think they were billionaires, basically. And he, he was... He was he was probably about our age. He was like the son. Right. And he ran part of the business. Yeah. But they were that minted that he'd built it as a sideline. Fucking Because he was a sick skier. He was a fucking amazing skier. Because yeah. he'd obviously been on skis since he was a kid. He was a charger. Yeah. And he'd basically decided like, fuck it, I'm just going to build the ultimate heli lodge in Revelstoke as, as like a sideline. I mean, I remember at one point he told me, so they had this atrium, you know, like Alpine Chalets, yeah, like yeah. with this you know, incredible fireplace went up like five stories or something. And he was telling me that he'd had it rebuilt like three times because he didn't like the draw, you know, it means that it's that kind of wealth, you know? Yeah. Um, so that, that was, that was a definite fucking high point for yeah. sure. Cause it was just amazing. Cause we did like four days Hellion, I think in that tenure right. where they just did natural selection. Right. Um, no, it's there. And it was just, as you might imagine, it was fucking ludicrous. Um, yeah. So did a lot of that. And then as basically we always did gigs that were like, um, we used to call them cash cows. Like every now and again, like some brand would come along and be like, snowboarding's cool. We're going to get into snowboarding, you know, Nokia, Motorola, like oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. back in you the day. So we were all running. like, we always got brought into sort of, um, to run that. Like Phil Young is somebody I learned a lot from because yeah. Phil, Phil was the best at that game you yeah know? so he so i learned a lot from phil um and and then that became more and more of a thing and about 2010 um the the, the recession you know the global financial crisis or whatever it was ben left you and had already left so it's just me and chris and we didn't work dried up for quite a while. And I remember quite clearly because we, we were like, well, fuck, we're going to have to get jobs. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> and then we were both like, fucking hell, we might have to get a job. Um, so we decided to give it like one last sort of push. And then it kind of worked. So we, at, that was the point it became, started to resemble what it is. So I keep bashing your mic, don't I? Is what, what, one of the things that um, started to resemble what it is now. Like we, I was like, and that's where I ended up sort of beginning to steer it because I suddenly was like actually this is a this this is a proper thing like this could be a proper agency yeah um and at that point I'd worked with as a journalist I'd worked with market agencies and PR agencies from the other side of the line for like 10 years and they were all fucking shit um so, and so I was just a bit like we could do that so much better you know what I really like is the fact that you've sort of taken everything you've learned from snowboarding and you're using it to influence sort of other 
sort of sections of not just the snowboarding industry, but like all the other brands that you work with. It's everything you've sort of discovered through snowboarding yeah, and snowboarding is then true. having an influence on everything else. Yeah, it's very, and it's that, yeah, it's, yeah, that's an interesting point. I've probably never thought of it that explicitly, but it probably is true, I guess. I mean, because I chatted with Leslie about that, the fact that it was kind of the what they did in snowboarding with Team GB is mm. slowly sort of yeah we, seeping um, out through yeah we worked into other like areas. Me, me and Leslie, yeah, and I guess like that kind of scenario I talked about with White Lines, you know, what we were trying to do, and the fact that we, for right or wrong, thought we had a lot of editorial integrity and we were quite serious about that. It's definitely what I still do, yeah, with with what we do, and. ACM now, yeah, I mean, it's a proper thing. It's like, we've got 15 clients. We're lucky we've got the best clients in the game. Arcturus, Yeti, Finisterre, you know, like Gore-Tex. They're, you know, great brands, get to do really interesting work. But but that kind of, how can you do this in a way that isn't shit is, is very much part of it. Because ultimately, like, there's just a lot of lazy, I don't even think lazy is the right word, like, unimaginative like yeah um people just copy stuff don't they you know like that's that that's that's just seems to be the fact of the matter like if if stuff if someone's doing well people will copy that that is endemic in marketing you know like at the minute everyone is banging on about liquid death you know like that water brand the water brand yeah so every fucking meeting i have with new clients everyone's talking about that i mean and i've seen that for years like you know there'll always be a brand that's doing really really well yeah finisterre for years patagonia for years like that you'll you'll speak to brands particularly like younger brands and they'll be like we want to be like that and i'm always like why do you want to be like that why don't you just do your own thing like how can you do something for yourself like but it's really hard not to do that it's really hard not to just think see the popular thing and think like well, that's what I should do. And I yeah. actually strongly believe that's not what you should do. Like, yeah. I actually strongly believe that what you should do is try and find your own thing and do that really, really well. Like, yeah. whatever yeah, that yeah, looks yeah. like. And not, so that's what we did with White Lines. And that's what I've always tried to do. And that's definitely what we try and do with AC. I mean, it's obviously different when you're working in marketing because it's sales at the end of the day. You know? Yeah, sure. So um, the, it has different commercial pressures, which is why obviously is like irony upon irony of, my position now compared to when I worked for Jim. <laughs> um, but I still feel like finding that room for asking questions, like, and how can you do this in a way that's a bit more interesting and is, is still at the heart of it really. And it certainly was what was behind the podcast. Like I say. Yeah. That just takes me back to something my brother talks about. Cause obviously he shot with Nick quite a lot. And he was on Airwalk, and obviously they made their own adverts. Dave was. I remember Dave had a brilliant ad, didn't he? That Airwalk Cliff ad. Yeah. Yeah, that Nick shot. I remember that really well. But he was saying, you know, and actually looking through a lot of the old magazines, it's quite surprising how many sort of generic adverts were put in. Yeah. Just by some marketing, oh, yeah, 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 they need an advert. Here's the one that goes in every magazine, rather yeah. than actually trying to create something and using your local rider for a local audience. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, like I said, I now believe it's kind of human nature, really. But what's also interesting is a lot of people are quite happy about that. Like A lot of yeah. people are like quite happy with that status quo and, um, you know, fair enough. But it's just not really what I want to do. You no. Know? Like if I'm going to 
if I'm going to run the company that I'm lucky enough to run now with Jojo, my business partner, yeah, and it's a lot of work and it's a lot of stress. Actually, it's not a lot. Of, I mean, it's not fucking coal mining, is it? But like, you know, it's like. <laughs> well, yeah, but you've got it's hard work. you've got the responsibility of fifteen people. It's hard work. You yeah. know, we've got to bring a certain amount of cash in, and we we try and do it in a way that we can be happy with. You know, like, and not just try and go lowest common denominator to like earn cash and. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So. One thing I wanted to ask you about, because we, quite a few years ago now, we sort of talked a bit about mentoring. Yeah. And that you had a mentor for your business. Mm, yeah. From that experience, what would you say is like the sort of benefits of having someone as a sounding board or someone that can give you some advice? Yeah, I'm doing a lot of mentoring myself at the oh, minute, yeah. actually. Um, and I think, I've, I mean, quite a relevant question because I've been thinking about this quite a lot. I just think it's about giving people permission to to like believe that they can do it yeah really i think it's that simple is that what you needed i mean yeah i mean i've always needed that you know that's why chris was such a brilliant mentor for me that's why steve was a brilliant mentor for me that's why eddie was brilliant for me you know like they all gave me permission to to do what i needed to do and that's been a yeah. real i've those ed lee was I mean, Ed was huge influence on me, you know, like the way he lived his fucking life. <laughs> and still lives his life. You know, life. I was a bit like, okay, you know. Um, so that's always been a, a thing. With with my mentor, I mean, he's a non-exec director as Ned, as they say in the wanky fucking business world. Um, I actually just, it was quite practical. Like I, at that point, ACM had, I think, doubled in size. And so... Jojo came in 2014. So Jojo ran another agency and she's a good friend of mine. Yeah. And I was starting to get out of my depth a little bit. I, I, I can't quite recognise that. I was like, I've been, I'm, I'll blag stuff. Like I don't mind blagging stuff. And, and I, I strongly do think that bullshit, fake it till you make it, is very true. Like yeah, I think, yeah. you know, I mean, look at this place that you've built. You know, you. you but I'm not. I'm not being disparaging. I'm just saying, like, you've made this happen by, yeah. like, by your force of like, I want to do that, and I'm just going to fucking do it. Like, yeah. you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, and you yeah, learned yeah, yeah. along the way. That's what I mean. So I was always happy to do that, but I did think, fuck, I need a bit of help here. Like, and Jojo was came at it from a slightly different angle from me. Yeah. Um, and I respected it greatly. It just made sense. I just thought we should just, so we, I was, I was like, we should just work together. This is mad. Like, you know, we live in the same town. We basically, I mean, you were sharing the same office at one point, weren't you? Yeah. So we did that. So we worked, and then Chris left um, because he was a bit like, actually, this is now getting a bit serious. Yeah. You know, it's not really for me, um, which is fine. Difficult to negotiate at the time, but. I'm very proud of the fact that we managed to, you know, stay friends and, and, and it's not, wasn't a big thing, although we did have to work hard at that at the time. Um, so when he left, like we'd, we'd gone, I think at that point we had about five staff and I just was like, fuck, I need, I need help on the business side of things, you know, like, yeah. like I can't just wing this anymore. You know, was I it need... easy to ask like to get help? Yeah, well, at the time, there was actually a government scheme that that was very geared towards small businesses where you could they they paid for mentors. Well, wow. yeah, I mean, occasionally they do that, don't they? Remember, there's a free broadband thing for businesses a few years back, um, which we also did. Um, 
so we we had one guy initially he was he was all right like um but then i changed it up and got this guy so it was it was more about yeah just just getting getting like the practical help and 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 what it came down to is like i say he was just a bit like yeah you got great business and you know this has got real you know he was a bit like what's the plan and i was like there's no plan <laughs> and he's like well let's get a plan you know yeah, like yeah, what, yeah. what do you want to do and i and he said what's your ambition with all this and i was like and this sounds like like a like a sort of bit of a line but i, I was we were like earn more money work less go snowboarding and surfing more like you know like that yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. has always been at the heart of what i've yeah. tried to do is incredibly privileged and like selfish as that sounds but that's pretty much been the motivation behind my entire career i'm inverting the commas because obviously it's kind of weird what i do but um no but it's easier maybe to think of it in those terms because certainly with the studio sort of lucy sort of said what do you want to do and it's like well do i want to be like a grammy award-winning engineer or producer or do I just want to work these hours yeah. on cool projects, have time to be with the kids and everything? Yeah. And actually, it's the small little things. They're the things to to work towards rather than these sort of big achievements because you can never kind of... Yeah. I mean, I've always... I mean, you know me pretty well. You know, you'll know that I've always been somebody that takes on a lot of stuff, you know? Like, You're a doer. I just think that's wired into me in some way. Yeah. But, you know, I don't... I've stopped kind of questioning that really. I've got I've got better at knowing I've been a bit bit easier on myself, like knowing when I need to like have a bit of a break and yeah. but ultimately I'm somebody who's always like taking on stuff, you know. And I I have kind of obviously wondered over the years, like, where the fuck does that come from? And I'd be quite nice to turn that off really, mm. you know, at points. Um especially in times of like stress. But yeah, I think I'm just reconciled to the fact that that's who I am, really. I think I'll always be doing that. Sean Lee always says to me, like, you'll be busy in a cave, you, you know, like, <laughs> she's kind of right. <laughs> so in, just to sort of bring it back to snowboarding, where's, what's on your, have you got a bucket? Is, is there anything that you want to do that you haven't done yet? Just talking about ambition and goals. Free snowboarding? yeah. Um, I, know I mean, you've Al- been everywhere. I've never been to Alaska. I'd love to go to Alaska, obviously. Um, I wouldn't mind going snowboarding, to be honest, at the minute. Like, I haven't really been for a while. Yeah, like, what a snowboard. Because, I mean, we went on that trip. We went and did that, that Stenderford's trip to that Chamonix. That was so fun, that trip. That was about, what, six years ago, do you reckon? That was about, that, yeah, that was the previously, that had been the last time I'd been riding. Yeah, that was that was great, that trip. Um, we had a great day, didn't we, back on the tour? So fun that day. Had a brilliant day. I was in one of the darkest places I've ever been in <laughs> currently around all that trip. Every, yeah. Everything kicked off for me. So yeah, yeah I, do, I, I sort of, I, I do remember it, but I don't. Yeah. You were on a hard, you were on a tough one, weren't you? Um, yeah. I mean, I haven't been riding. I didn't go riding last season um, at all, which was the first time in 20 years, 25 years maybe, which was weird. It was, it was odd. It's because me and my wife bought a house in France, in Normandy that we are trying to do up. Well, I mean, that'll be like, that'll never be done. You know, that's a long term that, project, a fucking isn't it? project. Yeah. So, but that obviously just took all my cash. And then obviously with Brexit, 
um, it's tricky now because I, I have to. I get you get ninety days. Yeah, of, you're using up all your time. So I like it was hard to justify going riding last year. Like, um, yeah. so I didn't go riding last year. Scotland. Well, I went. I had a trip booked to Scotland last week, which is a, a, a to write a story. I was going to get the train up, the yeah. sleeper, go see Leslie and Hannah and Hannah I Bailey. Know. I don't know Hannah. Hannah's just made a great film about Scottish snowboarding, actually. Oh, is that the Thrawn? Thrawn? That was that. That's Hannah's film. Yeah, yeah, I put a link to that on Leslie's episode yeah, last yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. So they're good friends of mine. Right. Obviously, Leslie's one of my closest friends. So um, I was going to go and stay with them, but um, yeah. my wife fractured her ankle. Oh, shit. <laughs> She's all right. Like, it was, it was just one of them. But I just couldn't go, you know. So, yeah, yeah. And then the snow was also... I phoned Les, she's like, snow shit anyway, so don't worry about it. So um, I spoke to Les last night, actually, and she's like, snow's really bad, so why don't you just make a late call? I was supposed to go to Japan, and Feb, that just got cancelled, because um, that was another press thing. Because basically I was a bit like... I dusted off the blagging cap. Yeah, was, if money's tight. Yeah, it kind of was. Get on the blag. I was a bit Same like... Same here, man. I was a bit like... I was a bit like I need to start doing some writing again. So I pitched a couple of papers. Um, I'm doing stuff for the Telegraph at the minute. I'm doing stuff for a few few mainstream magazines. And I pitched Telegraph to go and do Leslie's thing. They were like, yeah, go for it. So I got I sorted all that out through like the tourist board. Yeah. And obviously that didn't take up any Brexit days. And also I fucking love snowboarding in Scotland. Yeah, I, I've I, not I, been I, yet. I think it's brilliant. I know everyone fucking bags it and it's shit, but... Again, I I just love the experience of it, you know. Yeah. Um, it's the adventure more than yeah, that. Yeah, I, I really do have a soft spot for it. Um, so another trip that I blagged was Japan. But I got an email yesterday saying that that trip had been cancelled because the hotel that we're staying at's not finished or something. <laughs> so I was a bit like... So I actually spoke to a friend of mine, Owen Tozi, yesterday, who I do a lot of stuff with around the podcast. And I think we're going to try and blag a trip to Japan next January for a couple of weeks. Nice using looking sideways and using all these ins that i had from this last trip yeah um but i'm gonna go and stay with chris i think this year oh yeah i might go and do a week with chris like oh you might be out there because lucy's going out i haven't booked anything i think think that same week lucy's i have not i've not made any plans no. no but i think i might just go and work from there for a week or two nice um and and hang out and go riding with chris i'll definitely go to scotland um and that's kind of it at the minute i like so i was i did natural selection selection committee again what does that look like what does it well what does it entail like what, what's your responsibilities <laughs> with uh this year it was me ed lee um liam griffin who runs the whole series who's like the boss basically um mary walsh who is um, like an American journalist and commentator and very in the scene, a guy right. called Tom Montessero, Monteroso maybe, who everyone calls T-Bird, who's a ledge, good friend of mine. Who, you know, fucking nickname being T-Bird. He's, good, he's a good lad, Tom. Is he? Yeah, he's like, um, he's a bit of an Ed. He's like an Ed of the right. US scene. Okay. Riders all love him, does everything. And then Pat Bridges, who used to run snowboarder and who's a fucking hilarious character um he's keeping it real isn't it i mean he's he's down pat for is snowboarding ace. isn't he pat is ace like we I, so i i've written for pat for for two decades yeah so i had a column in snowboarder when he ran snowboarder right 
and he's always commissioned me and we never really met. Um, I met him a couple of times at events, but two years ago, Natural Selection in Jackson, we were, I, I was commentating on that and he was there and we hung out for two weeks. It was fucking classic. He's really funny. He's a great, great man. So we, um, we, we do that every autumn and it, it, it's, it's a lot of geeking out. It's a lot of, you know, we use video parts as the basis for it. So who's got a current part? Yeah. And, you know, who deserves to be there? I mean, my role in that is a bit more like the kind of story role, I would say. Ed's very much the hardline fucking, we can't have him in, that's a pat down, not a, you know, he's like full fucking geek off, you know. <laughs> Like, I mean, it's awesome to behold, really. Yeah. You know, like any, 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 any clip he's like got this encyclopedic opinion on, you know. Yeah. Um, but I've, I kind of, I'm there to think about the stories a bit more because at the end of the day, like, it's a global thing. They've got ambitions for that project and you can't all be Americans and Scandies, you know, yeah. like you need to, there needs to be narratives, needs to be stories. Yeah. So I, you know, the, the 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 level of riding's a given. You know, if you're in that conversation, yeah, yeah, you're yeah, a yeah. fucking good snowboarder. Yeah. And you probably have a shout to be there. So there's some people that are always absolute no-brainers. Like, I, I don't think he's coming this year, but like, for example, John Jackson's part, you know, we saw that and we're all just like, I mean, fuck me. Like, it's just ridiculous. Like, so he was a bit of a unanimous one. Longo, you know, he's always in the conversation. Um, Man, that fucking transfer he did the other year. Yeah, One yeah, out of yeah. nowhere. Yeah, so so I I kind of bring um, like what's the story? Yeah, you know, like what? How does this work? As a so that's pretty crazy. Again, like the whole UK thing, the fact that there's two English people, yeah, on, the, on this quite small selection committee for a global like a event. massive privilege. That I mean, it's it's a huge privilege, and I turned it down when they asked me. Like, they asked me to do it. Bit of imposter syndrome. A little bit. Liam and Travis asked me to do it. <laughs> Clang. Um, name drop. <laughs> yeah, go on. Um, like four years ago. And I said no. Yeah. And they were very taken aback. And Liam was like, why are you saying no? And I was like, it's got to be somebody more qualified than me. Probably like, not many people turn that gig down, right? And Travis was like, well, that's why you should do it. Because you said no. And I was a bit like, okay, I can't really argue with that logic. Um, so I said, yeah, and it's been great. But what I was going to say is like they, um, on back to the question, I kind of said to Liam, I'll do it again this year, but you know, I'll, you got to pay for me and Owen to go to Revelstoke to do it. So we might go and do that now. Um, I need to give him a shout. But they, they run that on a bit of a shoestring, as ludicrous as it sounds. It's a very yeah. ambitious thing that, you know, what they try to do, like, those live broadcasts, they ain't cheap. From the back of beyond. Yeah, so it's it's not like they've got loads of cash. No. So we'll see. But I might try and go and do that. Well, that'd be sweet. Mm, yeah, I mean, that would just be kicking about Revelstoke for a couple of days. Like, I, I did the commentary a couple of years ago and I never want to do that again. Like, it was... That's a different game. It was a great it? experience and I think I think I did well. Like, yeah. it seemed to go down really well. Like... But I just thought I'm not. It's cool to do it, and I was very flattered to be asked. But I'm not, not that interested in doing that again. No, I get that. Yeah, I mean, what Ed and you know Tim and it's a, it's a skill. It's a real specialist skill, isn't it? Being able to translate what they're looking at and what people are seeing into 
Yeah. Sort of for the for because it's more for the sort of lay person mm. who might be tuning in. I think that's one of what Ed and Tim yeah, I've told them this. So, what they do really well so is translate something that you just couldn't fathom what it is yeah. into something that the average person can be like, I, I understand that a bit more. Yeah, this boy's the tiramisu of snowboarding. He's got the lot. Custard, <laughs> he's saying looser, <laughs> he's saying like, he's looser than a looser than a rental bowling shoe. Or Ed, Ed actually said that at Bornex one year, and I've never let him forget it. The tiramisu <laughs> line. <laughs> Here he is. This boy's a tiramisu of snowboarding. He's got a lot. Custard, sponge. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I couldn't do it again, really. Um, no, it, I, I, one thing I did find from that, I just thought, fuck, I wonder if this... I mean, like anything in life, you get more experience and you get used to things. Um, but it was like an out-of-body experience doing live TV for me. It was like... it was. It, 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 it was beyond it wasn't I can't even say it was stressful it was just like it's just a very odd experience it was like watching somebody else do it right. while also like having to like obviously really not fuck it up and really concentrate because you're also sort of on camera a bit aren't you they sort of on camera in a producer you know like um, but they were brilliant with me though like because I did have a lot of imposter syndrome when I turned up and they were brilliant with me, the people behind the scenes. Like they the, looked after you. They re- like the 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 in-ear producer, I don't even know what that's called, which goes to show what a fuck of it I am. She came up to me day one and she was like, you're going to smash it and I've got you, you know. And that was, I was like, oh, thank you, you know. And the, the, the boss, the CEO guy came up to me and he was like, you are going to kill this. We were all fully behind you. And that, you know, means a lot of that stuff. Yeah, like does, yeah. so I was a bit like, okay, they're all they're all into this, which is good. Because I was a bit because there was definitely a bit of like, hey everyone. Hi. <laughs> I'm the random English guy <laughs> that's gonna be doing the commentary. You know. Um so yeah, I might I might go and try and do that. But yeah. So given like dry slope to being at the natural selection. Sort of if what give me a standout moment of snowboarding where you've just thought, fucking hell, this is it. Not a, not a monetary thing like the yeah. Revel Stoke thing, but just like a where you realise like I am where I'm supposed to be. Or yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it's just the days, isn't it? It's just the days that you remember. You know, the memorable days. You know, I remember that day we had. I remember I did a fun trip to to like the Three Valley. I mean, it sounds so workaday this, but like just pre-COVID with Chris and Ben Mundy and Drew and close friend of ours, Ollie Arnold, got good snow, like got three days, just really good powder. It wasn't dangerous. It was, yeah. I knew the resort really well. I knew where I was going. I was just a joy, you know, like amazing trip to Japan the other year. Um, yeah, I just remember those experiences really. Like, and an amazing day in Iran, like, you know, years ago where we had a great day up the hill. It was a proper mountain. It was you know, we were really surprised we got there and it was like, fuck me, this place, this resort is good, you know. And yeah. um, we met all these locals because, like, that country is, I mean, I don't know what it's like now because this is nearly 20 years ago, but back then it was like, it, I mean, it's first world, you know, it got loads of oil money. So yeah. it's like as wealthy as the UK, right? right? Obviously, you, that's, that's not, the, not the impression, it's not the get, impression that you get at all. Yeah. Um, I remember, I remember like, Hamish had a dodgy knee and, um, Hamish McKnight and the guide was like what, what's wrong with your knee and he's like oh, I need an ACL scan 
And the guy was like, why don't you just get it done? He's like, can't afford it. And like back home, they'll be like, you know, year waiting list. And he's like, I could probably get you one for like 100 quid if you want. Like, you know, like it's like pretty standard around here. You know? No way. So, that, you know, a lot of those experiences anyway. So we get to this resort and we basically met a load of snowboarders. This is the yeah. point of why I bring this up. Like, and they had kit. They're all in New Burton stuff. Right. And, you know, and, and we walked into this cafe because we drove into this resort. And we just went to get a coffee in this cafe and there's all these snowboarders in there. And, and they were like, who the fuck are you lot? You know, and we were like, oh, we're English and Scottish. And they were just like, minds blown, you know. And we're incredibly welcoming. And they were like, right, you can ride in with us tomorrow. So they showed us around. To be honest, they couldn't really ride. Amazing. But like, they took us up this ridge. And there was this like, just open valley. Like, you know, we were like, can we go down there? And they were like, yeah, go for it. You know, so it was, it would be like, um, you know, that Valley of the Kings in, in Lazard. In Lazard, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that. Absolutely. You know, like, and there was no one there and yeah. it was untracked and no one had ever really ridden it. So it was like, we were like, fuck me. Um, and then um, we got down to the road and we had to hitch a lift and we got a lift from this guy who's like in the Iranian Air Force, like, you know, who drove <laughs> us back to our hotel, went and did another run, hiked the ridge again, rode back down. I actually went down before everyone. Um got down to the room, turned the TV on, the Manchester Derby was playing on the Iranian TV. And I was like, <laughs> wow, this is the best day ever. Like, um, United won. So it was, uh, so, you know, stuff like that, obviously, yeah. so lucky to be able to do things like that. Those are things that I remember. And those are things that I kind of want to do more of. You know, you said what, um, I'm 50 in two and a half years. So I'm going to try and do a really trip in two years january 26 yeah and just try and have an open invite you know might go to japan and just be like i don't want to come sign me up yeah i reckon we get a, could get a good group I reckon you know you'll get a good crew yeah and that could be really fun was it your 40th or was it your wedding anniversary when shit loads of people turned up in croy yeah that, that was, was amazing my, that, yeah 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 so kind of something like that you've got the social the social glue. Yeah, well, I think me and Drew, our birthdays are a week apart. We're the same age. So we always celebrate our big milestone birthday. So we're talking about that for 50. We're like, yeah, we should do proper... I talked to Stenty about going to Georgia on one of his trips, but he can only do 12. And I think we'd definitely get more than 12. So I'm kind of now thinking Japan. Although we could just fucking take over Moran's gaff. Just go anywhere. Might be cheaper. Get a good crew. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? If you get mm. a good crew together, really. Yeah, maybe I'll speak to Chris. Maybe just say, look, you know, you can probably get a few people in there, can't you, these days? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, more of that, I think. All right, great. And then just to finish on, um, when you look over, you know, this isn't too much of a reflective thing, but what does snowboarding mean to you still? Like, when you think about it, what what has it done for you? Well, it's definitely given me the life that I've got, you know, and it's definitely given me the, like kind of just gave me the confidence to to try and live life on my own terms, really. Yeah. And that's a big thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's a big thing. So I think that is, and, you know, obviously the people I've talked about have been a huge part of that. And, then, you know, I really want to stress that, like the the mentors, the friends that have shown me the way are so important you know for me as a person so 
they had a lot to do with that. Um, but really all the experiences, yeah, have just given me the, the kind of confidence to think, yeah, I can kind of do this the way I want to do it really, you know, yeah. and it hasn't always worked and there's been loads of shitty times, especially through work, you know, things ups and downs and all that, but I've always, I've always kind of just felt like I had a bit of a intuitive understanding of where I wanted to get to, even if I didn't quite understand, you know, what it meant at the time. So yeah. I think it's given me that really, you know. Okay. And if I said the last thing was the final thing, but this is the final thing, given your skill at pitching, what would you say to someone who maybe hasn't been snowboarding for a while or is thinking about getting into it? What would, what would you say to them? to kind of motivate them um yeah that's quite a hard one isn't it or why should someone go snowboarding well i mean ultimately it is a very joyous activity isn't it like when when you you know that moment when what i'm really looking forward to is that is getting off the lift for the first time because like i said i've not been actually for a couple of years now I feel, and I feel like quite a fraud about that, like, to be honest, you know, given everything I've just spoken, yeah, I actually yeah, spoke absolutely. to, my, I spoke to my wife about this the other day. I was like, I, I really need to go snowboarding. I know that sounds like fucking really stupid, but like, I feel, I'm starting to feel a bit fraudulent. Like, you know, mm. the fact that I'm not, like, I need to go riding. And the thing that I'm really looking forward to is, you know, when you haven't been for a bit and you get off the lift and you kind of, start getting used to your board and you jump up and down on your board a little bit and then you do those first you know turns on the piece whatever it's it's always a bit like it's, it's just that's always nice isn't it you're, yeah. you're always a bit like fuck yeah this is fucking rad like so i'm that that's what i'm looking forward to and i think so i'd just i'd i'd say like chase a bit of that really you know because doesn't matter how good you are doesn't matter like what way you're coming out from that that initial feeling of what it means to turn a snowboard to ride a snowboard is is a universal thing and it's it's very joyous and addictive isn't it and that's i, I quite miss that so i'm gonna get on the phone and start doing some blagging i think yeah so there you are matt Barr. what a pleasure to have him on the other side of the microphone with me asking the questions for once um I've been an avid listener to the Looking Sideways podcast since it started. Um, he has really has spoken to everyone that you could hope to speak to. Some with some success. I was a bit disappointed by the Terrier episode. I think he'd be, I think he would uh, probably agree that maybe he didn't get the best out of him, or actually Terrier's not actually that interesting as a person, or can't convey it when he chats. <clears throat> but he's also. Some of the ones that I really enjoyed were the David Benedict episode. I think I've got a slight man crush on David Benedict. Um, who else? Who's the guy that used to ride for Barefoot? Oh, I can't remember that guy. But anyway, he's a script writer in LA now. And I found that story interesting. He spoke to Greg Stump, who made the Blizzard of Ours and Licensed to Thrill, like some old ski movies. And... um after that, after hearing that story, I actually messaged Greg Stump because those movies certainly influenced me and actually Mia Brooks's dad, Nige, which we get into on their podcast episode, which is coming shortly. So yeah, if you haven't, and I can't believe that you won't have, 
If you haven't checked out Matt's Looking Sideways podcast, then I really do recommend it. He is really kind of on top of his game and chatting to some of the most interesting people involved in snowboarding and just in the sort of outdoors world. So, yeah, check that out. There'll be links in the show notes, but I'm sure you must listen to that already. If you listen to this, you've got to be listening to that. So, yeah, what else is going on? Uh, a few shout-outs. A few shout-outs. Ben Weezer, Ian Cocking, Mark Chester, Kate Cheney, who used to be called Kate Basto, who worked for me at the Chalet in France. I loved... We used to do... Um, before anybody else, I think, we used to do Zoom evenings where we'd sit on... I think it was Skype at the time. And uh, we would talk about how the chalet's going and drink some red wine together virtually. Um that was how we did our staff meetings. Uh, yeah, uh, Kate Basto, all now known as Kate Cheney, sending much love to you. Ben Hoskins and Ian Bridges. Uh, there's a few names in there that you might recognise from copies of Snowboard UK and White Lines. And uh, it's good to see the community coming together and getting in touch with me, which you can do by giving me a shout on Instagram, on the DMs. Thank you, Snowboarding Podcast. Or you can uh, hit us up at thankyousnowboarding at gmail.com. Either way, I'm happy, happy to chat. And also, I have been posting into the UK Snowboard History Group stuff from the Instagram every day and obviously details of the episodes as they come. Uh, I think it's Russ Shea who runs that. Russ, I hope you don't mind me kind of hijacking and certainly... I think some other people have taken the cue to kind of find stuff and post it up. So there's actually quite a plethora of funny memories and stuff going up there most days. Um, it is fun looking back. We're not entirely looking backwards at this in this podcast, although it is fun to go and hear some of the early stories we are looking forward to. And we've got and on that, we've got uh, Nigel and Vicky, who are Mia's mum and dad, uh, on the show soon. We're just trying to actually catch up with Mia and see how things are going since winning X Games. Um, that is going to be coming in the next couple of weeks, hopefully. Uh, what else? The music at the start that Matt chose is by Graham Nash. The track is called Better Days and it's DCP section into a movie called Into the Mind, which I think is a bit of a multidiscipline movie. It's not just snowboarding, but they've certainly... I hadn't seen it before. And he's, they've done a really good job. DCP is a, obviously an avid surfer as well and a great snowboarder. And it kind of manages to cross the feeling of both of those things into kind of the way it's been shot. And it's really quite cool. So that is a movie worth checking out. I haven't watched the whole thing yet, but it's on the top of our Shredflix playlist on the YouTube channel, which is also Thank You Snowboarding. Um. I think that's about it for this time. Uh, yeah, if you want to get in touch with us, please do. Of the all, everything will be in the show notes. All the ways to get hold of us and the Instagram and whatnot. Uh, all got, still got to send love out to the Snowboard Asylum. Um, they just quietly go about their business of looking after British snowboarders, making sure they get the right advice for the right kit. If you're new to the sport and listening to this, then getting the right kit is so critically important. If you buy something that's not going to suit you, you're going to have a shit time when you go away. 
or, you know, if you head to the dry slope or whatever, having the right kit, boots that fit, boots that feel good, out aware that works in the conditions that you want to use it for. All this stuff's really, really important and will keep you snowboarding and mean that you enjoy your snowboarding. And um, obviously that's being lost with small independent shops closing down as we were speaking with Oggy last week in last week's episode. All that anecdotal knowledge and stuff is kind of being lost, but it's not being lost at the Snowboard Asylum. They employ snowboarders. It's snowboarders running the show for other snowboarders. That is what we are all about. So um, if you need kit, go and see them. They support us. You can support them. And I'll keep firing these episodes out of you. It's just a whole glorious merry-go-round of snowboarding fun. (laughs) I don't know where I'm going anymore. Uh, yeah, so that's about it for this time. Um, please do get in touch with your tales of snowboarding or any anecdotes or any just what snowboarding means to you. It's really important that um, I hear from you, not just the people that we have on the podcast. They're not the only people that are part of UK snowboard culture. Everyone, if you're riding dry slope, doing a season however you're finding snowboarding you are also part of the uk culture and it's what will keep it alive into the future so if you do want to share anything with us then yeah all the links are in the show notes we'd love to have you involved all right i think i'm out of here for now this has been a long one we're an hour and a half in uh i'll leave you and we will see you again this time next week as for now thank you snowboarding peace